0: Welcome to the Random Redux Review Podcast.
1: Hello. And welcome to episode 13. For this one, I wanted to pay special tribute to a friend of mine, Eileen Kaminsky. She's actually no longer with us. She died just about a year ago in 2021 of metastatic breast cancer. As 4 needs more. Uh, that being said, this is not about cancer at all. Eileen and I became very, very close friends for the last, I'd say, 18 months of her life. She was very much like an older sister to me. In addition to being a one-time sort of high-powered tech executive and also a really talented poet, she shared my love of music. She knew a lot about music. You know, so it was a lot of fun to talk to her just about in vicar like siblings do about bands and you'll hear that in this episode anyway as you can hear one of our favorite artists was Gary Newman so kind of one of the things Eileen and I did together we did a whole bunch of videos for YouTube where two cancer patients who were technically terminal discussing music that they like from the perspective of cancer patients that that is not what this is distinctly I wanted it to be different than that But anyway, um, when she passed away, I had recorded a a very large number of us talking about different songs, and it's taken me a long time to kind of put this together just because there's a lot of sort of emotional baggage, but I really felt it important to share this and just share a part of her with the world, so everybody can know a little bit more about who she was, what she was about and all that. We do not talk about two of her artists Rush and Pink Floyd but we do talk about sort of a lot of other areas where we sort of intersect um, from all genres of music even though I could have just put like segments of the songs I really wanted to put the full songs in just so you can get a chance to kind of vibe out with them a little bit and kind of really understand who Eileen was and possibly what she really liked about these I am gonna go ahead and tempt the fate of the gods just because this is episode number 13 and play the full versions of the songs that we're gonna talk about. I think I can kinda get away with playing the entire songs, just because this is not a monetized podcast. I don't think it will ever be monetized. If that's the case, then I guess I'll take this episode down. I feel that like any use of third-party images, audio and video, Kind of falls under the Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976, which allows for that oft misunderstood and elusive term, fair use. Sue me. There's no, there's no money being made here, so what are the damages? But anyway, um, if anything, it's probably promotion. I yeah, guess. So there, yeah, there you go. I'll just call it promotion. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. This may not seem like it's terribly edited, but just keep it in into account that I actually re- reduced this from about over three hours of us talking, because that was just what would happen when her and I would get on the line with each other and start talking about music. We would just sort of chat and yap away. Anyway, but I think these were probably the best of the sort of non-cancer specific sort of talking that we did. Anyway, I hope you enjoy listening to her and I talk here for a very long time, about a lot of different songs, hopefully you like something, if you don't like one or two of the songs, don't worry, they're all very different, so, enjoy!
2: cry no more.
3: A note like the first note, I can hear it.
1: Uh, one of the things I never noticed about it. I mean, first of all, I'll just say I'm a sucker for sort of proggy sort of so- songs. Oh, that there don't you go. It doesn't necessarily sound like a prog rock song, but it totally it is, though. There
3: totally. about
1: 27 different parts in there, so <laughs> just, uh, exactly. It's, it's weird. I, I think
3: that's, per- but that's all their songs. And I think if you listen, if you really take listen, I think it's a little more complex than most of the crap that came out around that time too yeah for, sure, for
1: sure i think for me it's it's i still keep it under sort of the guilty pleasure sort of category <laughs> but it's like hide it's,
3: that album <laughs> it's definitely
1: uh yeah it's like one of those things i wasn't necessarily cool enough to like but you know still can't sure really you like, like it so
3: we were all dorks i mean on.
1: It wasn't like like Rush, nobody liked Rush, so if you like that, it was fine to like them, but because <laughs> <laughs> everybody in like my him. high
3: school liked Rush, everybody liked Rush. That, yeah. That's weird, not
1: I mean, not in my, not in my day, they didn't. Um, but anyway, you was well, five years got, not weird Looks like who are they? Whereas Kansas would be more like, You're not cool enough to wear that shirt, why are you wearing that? Like, why? <laughs>
3: Like- and for me, it was like you're not cool enough to wear that Ramon shirt. You're not cool enough to wear that Chili Pepper shirt. I was, I was. By five years later, I think I was more into. Well, I definitely was more into punk and um, new wave because we had this great theater called the Cameo on Miami Beach, mm-hmm. and they had every act. And the most embarrassing moment ever. My dad decided to go see the dead Kennedys because he was Mr. Political. And I'm like, you cannot do this. You cannot show up to this concert. And I was like 20. And so he embarrassed the living shit out of me because there's my dad at the Dead Kennedys thinking it's this like great political band. I'm like, it's not, it's not. You're just thinking about Jella Biafra. That's all you're thinking about. And it was so embarrassing. I actually escorted him out and then like asked one of the bouncers to remove him. So I had my, my own father removed from the dead Kennedy show. First of all, he's not going to go I in the I would have
1: loved for my parents to go. They were just like, if I went to a punk show, they were just like, they kept away, wanted me to uh, be very careful that not I get hooked on drugs and like <laughs> corrupted by the bad element. Uh, but kind of taking a step back to t-shirts you wore to high school, I remember wearing a butthole surfer shirt to school um, and I had to tape, or they made me actually tape over the name of the band.
3: Are you serious?
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Just the, the, the butthole part, or the whole the, thing?
1: Uh, yeah, butthole. Um, Same <laughs> thing so happened with the circle jerks. I was pretty notorious for wearing uh, shirts that would get me into sort of, not yeah. serious trouble, but just sort of like, come on, kid. Yeah, we know you get straight A's, but come on, play by the rules a little bit.
3: At least a little. I mean, well, but that should give you a hall pass, at least to say, you know, you can get straight A's and listen to the butthole surfers,
1: et cetera. Very That's true. Very I bad. think I did probably get away with some stuff because of my academic standing to you an extent. You were a nerd. For you sure. I mean, nerd. I was definitely a nerd, but I'll post it. See, I dropped later, out. So. so there you go. What's that? I,
3: I thought I dropped out. I thought everyone was stupid. And so. And plus, I had a hard time getting back and forth to school. I think I sent you that kind of very short bio on my high school year so you could kind of get your head around where I was at during when all this stuff was coming out. So I I have some very emotional attachments to some music, I think, because of it. I think when you're on your own, I was on my own story at 14 and literally supporting myself. So trying to get back and forth to high school, Became almost secondary to trying to, you know, I was really tall. I was I was six feet by the time I was, I think, in ninth grade. So that helped me in lying and saying I was 18. And they didn't have, you know, computerized systems to actually do background checks back then. So I had a fake license and was able to get um, waiting, jobs, waiting tables. So I was able to make money. But going to high school was secondary, defeating myself and and paying my rent. And so um, I think there's a lot of emotional attachments to a lot of music from that time because of it. And, And as a teenager, you go through so many emotional changes anyway, that if you don't have the security of knowing where your next meal is coming from so that you can just focus on going to school, I think music became a security blanket for me in some ways. And and so where there's a lot of depth in the lyrics I guess, that's why you're you're seeing that I suppose like with Kansas and Elton John and stuff like that where you've got a lot of very uh, in-depth lyrics. And then I would I remember <laughs> I wrote the worst poetry. I mean I can look back at my poetry at the time and I was really writing hoping to write for bands or a band of my own, right? And so actually singing my own lyrics, really terrible stuff. I I think the journals got lost somewhere in a move, roughly right around 1993 or 94 when I finished college finally. But I think that's a big part of it. I think that you get attached to music in times of your life where it really has a whole lot of meaning. And, And I could listen to anything I want and my friends could come over. And the funniest thing was, I was not a stoner. Lots of my friends were. They would come to my house to party because there was no parent there. So all their parents thought that I was the bad kid when I really wasn't.
1: It's kind of (laughs) the same here. I mean, my parents are still convinced to this day that I was a total stoner and into all sorts of heavy drugs (laughs) and stuff. And I actually uh, have really never been into any of that. So it's, it's actually kind of funny. It's kind of a joke almost to a certain extent with me and my wife and my brother, because my brother knows that, you know, it's not really who I am. I mean, I'm sure he <laughs> fed some stuff to my to my parents just to kind of like stir the pot some because that's what siblings do. But um, I would say uh yeah, Kansas is more so still sort of a guilty pleasure, but I can respect it. You know? Good. Um Good. here's something Good. I'm not sure if you'll like this group or not. Um, bad Brains, I don't know how familiar I love them. Bad Brains, yeah. Okay, well... Um... Favorite songs by them. And I have very mixed feelings about them because um the singer HR has gone on to sing a lot of sort of homophobic stuff. And it's like, even though like some other members of the group were like, hey, we were young and stupid when we said that, and we've evolved as humans, he has not really sort of recanted any of that. So it's kind of like uh it's sort of the harder.
3: it do you like it,
1: even if you kind of know that there's a little bit of scumbag in them? So.
3: Well, you expect the scumbag in them, don't you? I mean, the, the band name in, in and of itself. But then again, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean...
1: What's the line? I mean, what can somebody do and totally lose your respect?
3: Well, I, I guess my line is, if you are outwardly racist... Very and 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 remember, we're talking about rock and roll, so it's hard to not say sexist, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you said sexist, you would erase, you know, half of the canon of rock. So it's hard for me to even, as a as a woman, to say this is okay, this isn't okay. So anything that's anti-Semitic, anything that's racist,
1: and then. But that being said, I want to circle back to Bad Brains because for me. You know, even though you like them, which is probably one of the reasons why um, I like you, is um, <laughs> um, and what really struck me about Bad Brains is they have so many songs that are have positive lyrics and and stuff. So that's why it's another reason to kind of like hate them for yeah. the whole homophobia thing. It's like it's such awesome music, and there's so much goodness in the music that why did they have to go yeah. and screw it up by not keeping their messed up opinions to themselves. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I suppose.
3: And I was a big Black Flag fan and a big, um, you know, Rollins fan.
1: So This song yeah. is definitely marked a, a very seminal moment in my life. Like The first time I heard this, I was like, oh, fuck, what the hell is this? I need more of that. For me, it just sort of like redefined what punk rock was. I think probably the first punk song that I really ever heard was Slip It In by Black Flag. And I that was that. just sort of you know like being like a 12 or 13 year old it's like oh yeah they're talking about sex it's awesome like cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah
3: exactly. you know, but like, it's like, like and head. yeah
1: so it's okay. easy to sort of sort of pretend that it's like the coolest thing ever but then i hear bad brains and this is like a different beast altogether where it's like they're singing about living in the movies and what's that mean yeah. like how it's all an illusion and and whatever we're just dreaming and I don't know, it just really spoke to me and then sort of the level of musicianship where it's like, yes, it's noisy, but it's just really fast, proficient playing. I
3: saw them when they were attracting 250 to 300 people in the crowd, which was awesome.
1: Uh, taking a step back there's one more talking head song I want to talk about and that's Izimbra, which is you know based off of a Dadaist poem you know it's like yes. how, how more random and abstract can you get than than getting Dadaist mm-hmm. yep. it literally doesn't even have real words in it they're all made up words so it's
3: well but that's that's Dadaism right yeah. I mean the whole they used to play something called exquisite corpse Do you know about Exquisite
1: Corpse?
3: No. They would fold up these pieces of paper and it would be, you know, Man Ray and and Duchamp and all those guys would get together and they would actually, one person would draw the feet and then the next person would draw the next part and the next person would draw the next part and then they would open it up. So if you actually do a quick look up on Exquisite Corpse, it's all these things that don't make sense that nobody knows what's going to come out of it. And I think that translating that into music the talking heads are probably the best band to translate dadaism into music if there is anything
1: yeah i mean it's all random nonsense it feels like it makes sense but it doesn't but i don't understand any of the words to this song and yet it speaks to me which is i think really weird uh it's a weird <laughs> so it's, i've always had a very personal attachment to this song just because the words literally mean nothing yet i enjoy every single second and kind of know the words to the song. It's like, how is that possible? Like you think of like people living in other countries and they hear like, you know, hits, I was about
3: to say, yeah. songs
1: yeah. in English and they love them. It's like, this is an example of sort of like, I can sort of feel what that's like, I guess.
3: Yeah. And when you travel, that's what things are like. You don't understand the language, but there's a beauty in not understanding. There's a beauty in just walking around feeling like a baby
1: i mean all his lyrics are very abstract and really have no meaning but you kind of feel like it does have meaning and to me at least being a teenage boy at the time it was like college rock that you could blast loud and crying. that
3: that's the other side of it too i mean a lot of college rock is not at that time anyway was not accessible at all
1: yeah i mean it was like what the biggest was probably REM and. Um, I like RM, but they're not necessarily a band that you blast in your car, you know, and and try to piss off the neighbors and everything.
3: They are definitely a college rock band. I mean, they're definitely alternative radio, you know, down the dial in the 91s. Right. You know, I guess I I really do connect them with college, period, because I, I actually saw David Byrne when he did some solo stuff at a small club when I was in Gainesville. And I, I like David Byrne a lot. I think he's he's just done a lot, generally speaking, for the that music genre mm-hmm. and made it accessible, period, right? It, it kind of brought it out of the basement up into the light, no pun intended.
1: Produced by uh, Brian Eno, like-
3: Right, well, duh, like, yeah.
1: The guitar part is really just a sped up uh, version of Psycho Killer if you listen to it carefully. Yeah, it is. That dude, it's really, it's so similar to it, so. I don't know, it just, it rocks, and it's, it's a makes great song, and it means, it, it, means really, it means nothing. It means nothing. The more amazing. you listen to it, the more you discover. It's like, the rhythm is so complicated in it, and it's it's just such, a, such a perfect song in many ways, so. Yeah, no, I,
3: it's got that distinct talking heads sound, period. I think, to me. When I was
1: in high school and sort of the height of me being into sort of the punkest of the punk rock, like, you know, Misfits and um, (laughs) and a lot of sort of British hardcore bands and things like that. And my brother's saying, you know, you're not going to like this stuff forever. You should also, you know, add some stuff that you'd like that you will probably still like when you are a grown up." So uh-huh.
3: you know, and you still I still like the other stuff.
1: I think uh, Talking Heads are a great band like that because they still have some yeah. some weirdness to them, and they're definitely yeah. not cool enough that the cool kids are gonna uh, give you crap about liking them. But you know, they aren't I don't know
3: about that. Them
1: either, I mean, so. I, I think
3: yeah. that my my boyfriend when I was like 15 and I'm still really good friends with him. He turned me on to the talking heads and his brother, I think, turned him on to, It's one of those bands where like the older brother turns you on to them somehow mm-hmm. when you're, you know, much younger. And and I just remember liking them because he liked them. And then I kind of secretly liked them on my own after we broke up. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> um, it's amazing because girls aren't necessarily given access to music because it's dangerous right so going out to clubs and getting mixed up in punk rock and you know being there with my other two girlfriends who happened to be into punk like i was um my friend debbie and my friend amy they, the three of us would always go and and it was weird because we wouldn't have had access to that music if not for 120 minutes on mtv Mm -hmm. which was on if you remember that it was on super late and um my friends who were guys like i had this friend rob schiff who every sunday night i'd go to his house we'd watch the young ones and then 120 um minutes on mtv do you remember the young ones
1: yeah absolutely. Um, since you brought up 120 minutes, I want to get into one song that I actually don't like. I haven't listened to it in a long time, but the <laughs> last time I listened to it, I didn't like it as much as I had in, in in the past. but it's the first time I watched um the first time I watched 120 minutes, it was the the song that was playing. I was like, oh, this so- this is cool this show. And it's XTC's Dear God.
3: <laughs> so a song
1: that I think is one of their biggest yeah. hits but mostly because it got banned a lot because it's got the lyrics are very sort of you know they're obvious yeah. they are <laughs> but also it's like got this heavy Beatles influence but not Beatles influence and it's like and you hate the Beatles so yeah yeah so and I'm not a Beatles guy but um
3: no you're not wow
1: <laughs> listenable to me like but it's like it is what you put on for a child in my opinion and
3: oh come on there's we'll have that discussion we're gonna have to have a whole episode just on the
1: beatles to me it's like what what you let little kids listen to so they start to like adult music
3: oh my god okay dear god
1: even like it's just totally true i mean it's like this whole myth of the beatles harmonies. like there's some interesting things going on
3: there's my Uh, hand talk to my hand um you're a big george harrison fan right i'm
1: a huge george harrison fan and i'm very spiteful about the whole thing that like (laughs) you know this two shit or uh, all things must pass record most of us had like 700 hits on it and they're all songs he wrote while in the Beatles but George Martin didn't think they were good enough. It's like, good enough. come yeah. on, they're great songs. It's like, they are
3: great songs. It's bullshit. I agree with you. George Martin was a douchebag though.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think in many ways the Who are actually more influential on in modern songwriting, or at least songwriting that occurred between 1990 and 2010. If you just look at their structures, just sort of the way that the yeah. music they were one of the first sort of pop bands where the music wasn't like strictly backing up the vocals, like often doing very different things than what the vocals are, where it's it's viewed the vocal lines are almost another instrument, you know?
3: Well, and that's what I like about um, Robert Plant. What about
1: Abbey Road? Yeah.
3: Oh my gosh, unbelievable.
1: I will, I will die on this hill, like, it feels <laughs> oh all no. the most overrated band in hit musical history. No, no, no.
3: I was a big Who fan, huge, mm-hmm. huge. You're either a Stones fan or a Who fan. I was well into the Who. I did not like the Rolling Stones. I still don't. I think they are the most overrated band on the planet. I think I'm not going to fight you too soft. hard now,
1: but I think they had they definitely have their moments. I mean, Becker's banquet.
3: Every band has their moments. Becker's
1: banquet. banquet is a pretty amazing record in many ways. So it's a uh, but. You know, do they, they have many other great records that I like? I mean, I know some people are really into a few of their records, but to me, that's really the only complete record that I really like. I know Her Majesty Saint Titanic, whatever, or or whatever. I
3: actually, I, I really like Sympathy for the Devil. Yeah. My, right. My, I, I like that song. That's about it. I don't like their other stuff. It's just like...
1: Eh. And you criticize Keith Moon for being... I say he's the most lyrical drummer ever, and you're just like, eh, I don't know.
3: He bangs he bangs the crap out of them. That's the thing. I mean, he, he just
1: not bang the crap out of them, but
3: like he um, did to his life. I mean, he banged the crap out
1: of it, right? Yeah. So. Definitely. And um
3: sadly. If you believe
1: the, the tales, apparently he, David Bowie, and there was one other kind of where uh, they all at different times were dating a 14-year-old girl
3: oh yeah i'm sure yeah
1: <laughs> so he got around i don't know why i'm laughing at that because it's actually kind of horrible but probably bob,
3: probably bob or somebody like that you know yeah
1: but uh baba o'reilly is a song not many people notice it but the the the, the keyboard obviously is on, a, is on a uh pre-programmed sort of click track if you were and keith moon was actually playing to a click hit track but most people don't know is that there was actually a short while they were recording this song and there was like some power surges and things like that that actually caused the tempo of the keyboard to change
2: and That's so nice.
1: while Keith Moon is doing his seemingly sort of random like lyrical playing um is what I'm going to call it um where he's kind of like soloing over stuff is the tempo of the song is actually changing but he's staying with the tempo of the song which I always think is pretty amazing which means to Me, it always speaks to he was a far more technical drummer than people give him credit for.
3: Um, oh no, I'm not saying he's not technical, but I mean, you've seen have you seen them in concert? Did you see them?
1: Well, I, I've seen the horse drink wiser uh concert where he passed out and they just got some from the crowd uh to, to step in and play drums for two songs or three songs or whatever it was, <laughs> which
3: is kind of funny, but I, I mean, he did he did ruin that band by ruining himself. And and I think that's the saddest part of all. The issue I have with it is if you're gonna have all of this influence on people, kids, Mm. which we were, and say, this stuff's okay, which is what you're saying, Mm. um, by doing it and doing it very publicly, I'm not okay with that, you know. Oh, you
1: really sound like an old old person.
3: It's, I was never okay, okay with and that. Kids in their rock and roll I mean, smashing up
1: hotel rooms and like
3: but see, uh, I, was never okay I mean, with I that. understand I, your
1: point, but but I mean Even
3: though that was a young person.
1: <laughs> if, well, I would admit if one of my favorite bands, like you know, the talking heads, if they had smashed up hotel rooms and things like that, I probably would like them less just because it doesn't yeah. fit with the whole vibe. But the who you kind of, I think kind of expect the mayhem and the, I mean, they made their name by smashing guitars and, sma- and Keith Moon smashing his drums and-
3: Right,
1: you know, uh, I suppose. Uh, yeah, Ch- 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 he's really yeah. complex bass lines while it seems he's falling asleep, but- He was
3: he- falling asleep. He was falling asleep. There's
1: a. <laughs> and, and Roger Daltrey swinging his mic around so much that, you
3: know, he joked
1: about yeah. throwing The name of the the song is Bobo O'Reilly, which I don't believe they actually ever say anywhere in the song, but it was written.
3: Nope, not at once. Not a
1: song time. Uh, Maharishi that they um, almost fell under the spell of and kind of got disillusioned with. So it's interesting that's to, to me like this and we'll get fooled again it's like just really shows how different this band was there was something yep. you know them and the kinks there was just something more intelligent about it and like they're like we're not playing this this game we understand all you hippies you're just gonna fade away and i'm gonna like you why know? do i all oh, fade away yep.
3: it's almost like you're saying fuck off yeah. <laughs> basically
1: yeah but Anyway, uh, Babo O'Reilly, a great song. Um, to, to, for you specifically, I mean, you said it's like one of the songs that you felt like represented your teen years. Uh, yeah. That specifically, not just because you were into The Who.
3: Not just because I was into The Who. I think because it was so, it was a song I could put on in the car loud and forget about everything else. I mean, just... And, and Keith Moon, right, admittedly, is a huge part of why I love that song. It's just, I was so angry about so many things, rightfully so. Out here in the fields, that's how I felt. I felt like I was sort of left out to dry. And and I think that that whole song is is kind of like the disillusionment of what we think is going to work for us and what really doesn't work and and I just I think a lot of their songs really speak to that that disillusionment in in sort of getting into the world and going this is all this is all bullshit right and and Bob O'Reilly I think for me just brought out that allowed me to to scream out that anger when I was very angry and I and I and I had reason to be very angry. I was always one of the girls that was allowed to hang with the guys, right? So and and all my guy friends were were really into the Who too. So, and I I actually remember getting ready to go see them, and we were at my friend's house. There were about 18 of us that went in a bunch of cars and just, we just had a great time. And, and, you know, that song was the first song we put on when we got in the car to go see them. And,
1: you know, it was kind of a long drive, but just. To me, it's like one of those songs that I could have cranked in my car and not gotten weird looks. Now, right that too dead candidates right? or black flag or something like that like i'm gonna get strange looks like what
3: the like you're picking water. your nose or something yeah.
1: well i could play this and rock out to it and and nobody would really give me any any gump or funny looks or anything like that because it was a somewhat popular yes. song but to me it's like even just structurally as i as i get older i hear more and more in it it's just sort of the the I mean, yeah i mean Pete Townsend, he is holding down the rhythm, not the drummer. The drummer is adding, he's actually accentuating the rhythm.
3: That's a very good part.
1: You know, that. And the drummer just going. Dun,
3: dun, 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 dun.
1: Yep. And then uh, Roger Daltry just sort of floating over it with his yep. lines. I mean, this is definitely, I mean, I know people love Tommy and Quadrophenia, but to me, this whole the Who's Next era is them at the peak of their powers, like
2: I agree with you. sort
1: of amazing. I mean, really, I mean, I actually, I prefer Quadrophenia to Tommy, but you know, a lot of people disagree with me. But I also like no, the I Beatles, to- and they like the Beatles, and they're wrong, and I'm right. So, I mean, we'll be <laughs> better, but Who's Next is to me is their best record overall.
3: I I 100 agree with
1: you. I just kind of finish things up. It's just sort of like your thoughts on yeah, we're kind of looking back at these songs and that are important to us in different ways and for different reasons. But like, yeah. I think just sort of the nature of cancer makes you more reflective and reflective in a different yeah. way because it's like, absolutely, I don't know, we see the lights at the end of the tunnel a little bit more clearly than some other people's.
3: <laughs> it's not an abstraction anymore, is yeah. it? It's just kind of there, and you wake up every day going. Yep. I'm all
1: here. Good. Okay. Let's get out of bed. Okay. So that was it. Just before we sort of wrap up and say goodbye here, I just wanted to kind of put it out there that you would be interested in discussing music with me, uh, even nominating a song that we discuss or a a particular artist or anything like that. I would be more than happy. Probably delighted to talk slash spar with you over whether you're opinion is is valid or not but anyway if you'd like go ahead and email me i have a a gmail address redux rudy at gmail.com that's r-e-d-u-x-r-u-d-y at gmail.com anyway i will talk at you next week
2: Thanks for listening. New episodes of the R3 podcast most Sundays. See the episode description for notes and where to find more online.